Welcome to Real Estate Pro Tips and Strategies. The theme is how to buy a home or sell a home in a changing real estate market. Hi, my name is Pete Sabine and I'm here with my team partner, Leslie Whitney. We are real estate professionals with Compass and the five-star real estate team here in the San Francisco Bay Area. We want to share with you our real estate expertise to give you a competitive edge and provide insight with useful information so you can make an informed decision for your next home purchase. Leslie and I break down the most important aspects of real estate. Future podcasts will reveal how to navigate as a home buyer or seller. Before we start our podcast, if you're looking at scaling a real estate buy and hold portfolio or simply looking for tips and techniques when it comes to property management or self-management, check out the Landlording for Life podcast with Sean Morrissey and subscribe to get an episode every Monday morning. Visit landlordingforlife.com for all episodes. Welcome to this episode of Real Estate Pro Tips and Strategies. This is Leslie Whitney and I'm with Pete Sabine. The topic is understanding residential real estate appraisals. You may have recently entered into an agreement to purchase a residential property or you may have completed a loan application to refinance your home. Lenders are required to obtain an appraisal prepared by an impartial and unbiased appraiser and use it as the primary tool for assessing the sufficiency of your collateral. You may want to retain an appraiser to provide an appraisal to help you make decisions such as buying, selling, or refinancing your home. This podcast will help you understand the residential appraisal. We will review and discuss the definition of a credible appraisal, the appraisal process, elements of credible appraisal, the importance of appraiser independence, and how to proceed if you feel that a correction needs to be made to your appraisal report. So Pete, tell us about the basics of an appraisal. Well, the fundamental basic of an appraisal is that it's an opinion of value, and that word opinion is important. It's essentially a data-driven report, but there is an element of subjectivity to the appraisal report. And case in point, you can have three different bank appraisers come out to appraise your property, and you might get three different appraised values. Because of that subjectivity inserted into the data points that appraisers use to build the report, you could get, in fact, different values from different appraisal sources. So for estate planning, financial planning, or sales price decisions, individuals or trusted advisors will usually order an appraisal. When an appraisal is used to obtain an opinion of value for loan purposes, federal regulation requires the lender or its agent to place the appraisal order. The lender contacts a state-licensed or certified appraiser and identifies the property to be appraised and the intended use of the appraisal. The appraiser then determines the appropriate scope of work for the assignment. The appraiser's scope of work typically includes the type of property inspection, whether it's interior, exterior only, or none, and what approaches to value are to be required for that report, along with any lender-specific requirements for that appraisal. In some cases, the lender may order the appraisal through an agent, such an such as an appraisal management company. For residential mortgage lending, Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac, which are government-sponsored 
enterprises are commonly known as GSEs. They're purchased the mortgages on the secondary mortgage market, and they've developed residential appraisal report forms that are commonly used to communicate the appraisal of properties used as collateral for the loan. Regardless of the type of the appraisal report used, all appraisal reports must contain sufficient information to enable the intended users to understand the report properly. So for a purchase of a home, why is an appraisal necessary? The lender orders the appraisal to obtain an accurate description of the property and an independent opinion of value. The lender uses the appraisal to document that the real estate is appropriate collateral and determine whether the value of the property is sufficient to support the lending decision. And why isn't the consumer, the purchaser, considered to be the client when he or she pays the appraisal fee, which they do as part of their loan package? That is correct. The consumer pays the fee, but the client of the appraiser is always the bank. Under federal banking regulations, it requires the financial institution to be the client of the appraiser, regardless of who pays the fee. And so how does the appraiser develop the value opinion? The appraiser researches market data, public records, they have conversations with a buyer or the seller or both, and the real estate brokers that are active in the market area. The data researched includes sales, leases, current listings of similar properties. Other data includes land sales and residential construction costs. And uh, what is the appraisal process? How does, what does that look like and who, who's going to be there? If an appraisal requires an interior inspection, the appraiser will contact the homeowner or in the case of a sale, an agent or the seller to inspect the interior or the exterior of the property. As previously mentioned, an appraisal may or may not require an interior inspection. An appraiser will also research county and municipal records, the multiple listing service, and other data services for information and documentation concerning the subject property and the market area. An appraiser will review recent sales and listings of comparable properties. The comparables are recently sold or listed properties that have similar utility, quality, age, and amenities similar to the subject property, and they're located in the subject property's market area. Also, in markets where few sales have recently occurred, comparables may be from similar or competing neighborhoods located, you know, local distance to the subject property. An appraiser may use the sales comparison approach to develop an opinion of value. What is the sales comparison approach? Well, often the primary approach to develop an opinion of value for residential real estate property, it's the sales comparison approach, and that utilizes recent sales of comparable properties. An appraiser will analyze and compare the characteristics that include the living area of the home, commonly known as the square footage, the land area, lot size, the style of the home, the age of the home, the quality of the construction, the number of bedrooms and bathrooms, the presence or absence of a garage, and all those factors that add to the nuances of the value of the property. And what is a comparable sale or a comparable listing? Well, a comparable sale, and there's two different focuses, 
on sales and listings. And why is that? Because appraisal reports look backwards in time. And to do that, they have to look at sales. They look at closed sales transactions, and they'll also look at open sales that are pending, waiting to close escrow. They're in the process of closing. They also look at the market today, competing properties that are actually for sale that have yet to be sold. Those are called active listings. So we're both looking at comparable sales data, and we're also looking at comparable listing data to build that report. And so within that, they're looking for similar physical and functional attributes and location qualities. So a comparable listing is a current listing that is similar to the subject property in terms of physical and functional attributes and locations. And a comparable sale is the same thing. So they're looking, they're using those in a combined sales comparison approach. So in most cases, the sales comparison approach is the most reliable indicator of value. And the reason for that is that in residential real estate, it most directly reflects the actions of buyers and sellers in a free market. So let's talk a little bit more about some of the basic parameters of how they select comparable listings and comparable sales. So there are certain benchmarks that they'll use. One of them is called the 20% rule. So in other words, if the property is 2,000 square feet, They'll look at properties that are both listed for sale and that have recently sold that are either 20% smaller or 20% larger. That's the framework sub relative to the subject property. They're also looking at the proximity to the subject property. Typically, they like to use a one-mile radius um, from the subject property to pull in the recent sales and active listings into the report. If there have not been a lot of similar sales in <clears throat> recent time, then they will go outside of that one mile rule if they need to. Um, and then there's also the date of sale because real estate markets change. Properties appreciate, properties go up in value, they go down in value, depending on what the market conditions are. So typically the age of the sale is a maximum of 90 to 120 days from the date of the appraisal. Once again, if they don't have enough sufficient data to build the report, sometimes they will go back further in time and they'll do what's called a time valuation adjustment to the subject to the or relative to the date of the appraisal and the subject property. The cost approach is another method an appraiser may use to develop an opinion of value. What's, what is the cost approach? Well, the cost approach is commonly used in commercial real estate. It's also commonly used in, um, for insurance companies because when you think about it, the insurance company insuring your property for things like fire hazard, earthquake, that type of thing, if the structure is destroyed or damaged, they are responsible for covering the cost to rebuild it. So in order to calculate the insurance policy, the cost of it, they need to know what the replacement cost is. So typically the cost approach is more valuable in a scenario like that. Now, in a residential appraisal report, they will actually use both the um, sales comparable approach and the cost approach to see if the numbers line up or they, they reconcile. So the cost approach is an appraiser's opinion of the current replacement cost of constructing 
a reproduction of the existing structure, less any estimated depreciation, plus the value of the land. The cost approach is a valuable approach when appraising newer homes that might have little or no depreciation. And so what circumstances would an appraiser use the cost approach or sales comparison approach? How do they decide on that? Well, so the cost approach is based on the premise that an informed purchaser would pay no more for the subject property than the cost of constructing a substitute property with the same utility, meaning an insurance company. They want to limit their exposure to what it's actually going to cost to rebuild that structure on that lot. So the differences between the sales comparison approach and the cost approach are particularly evident when the property being appraised involves older improvements where depreciation due to age and functional obsolescence are difficult to estimate. And so those are some of the core things, or when the improvements are relatively unique or specialized and there are a few comparable properties. So we see those custom homes in our area. They're one of a kind. They're custom built. They're used with special materials, and they're hard to replace because of that. So sometimes the cost approach is more accurate than the market sales comparable approach. So if completed correctly, under ideal circumstances, the indicated value by the cost approach should be similar to the estimated value by the sales comparison approach. And why does an appraiser make adjustments? Well, adjustments are used in developing that opinion of value of a property. And so when the appraiser is considering the recent sales of similar properties, they're looking at sales that are most similar to the property being appraised and are the best indicators of its value. So rarely are two properties exactly the same. And especially in homes in an area where the properties are eclectic, like the market that we're in, they're custom homes. You'll have a three-bedroom, one-bath, 1,100-square-foot cottage next to a 5,000-square-foot McMansion right across the street. And so just because the two properties are on the same street doesn't mean they're actually like kind. So adjustments come into play. Um, usually the adjustments are used more for nuances between one comparable sale to another, meaning they might be similar in size, location, recently sold, but one has a view and the other doesn't have a view. Or one has a swimming pool, the other one does not. Or one's been extensively and recently remodeled and the other house is in original condition with no recent upgrades. So those adjustments are made to reconcile and make adjustments. They take the comparable property, each one individually, and they make separate adjustments for a comparable sold listing or a comparable listing for sale. And they met relative to the benchmark, which is the subject property being appraised. Okay. Um, an appraiser may use the income approach. What is that? What's the income approach? Well, the income approach is commonly used for income residential real estate. So think of duplex, triplex, fourplex, anything with a plex in it, um, <laughs> or apartment buildings, that type of thing. Residential commercial as an example. So the income approach is most often used um, with multifamily units where the income is the factor in the decision-making process of buyers and sellers. So usually at the buyer of an income property, they're buying 
a property that generates cash flow or income. And that creates the value of the property for the investor that's buying that property. It's based on the relationship of what's called anticipated benefits or dollar income to its value. The income approach in residential appraising generally consists of little more than a gross rent multiplier analysis, or commonly known as a GRM. And that's the sales price of the property divided by its income potential. So the income is market rents, or actual rents being generated by that income property. The GRM analysis is very reliable in markets where homes are rented and sold frequently. In some cases, the income approach is not applicable when the property appraised is located in a neighborhood or an area where most homes are owner-occupied and there's not much in the way of income property like it in that area. Okay. Um, how does an appraiser develop an opinion of value? So after the data collection and its analysis, the appraiser will develop an opinion of value by considering the indicated values of the sales comparison approach, as well as the cost approach, and possibly the income approach, if it's applicable for that property. The values indicated by the approaches utilized will be reconciled to a final opinion of value. The appraiser will present his or her findings and conclusions in a report to the lender. So how does that translate for most of us getting their home appraised either for a purchase or a refinance? The weight is the most weight in that appraisal is given to the sales comparable approach as opposed to the cost approach. Okay. And what are the essential elements of a credible appraisal report? Number one, a clear, accurate description of the subject property. Two, the sales that are most recent and most comparable. Number three, comments that explain important issues in the appraisal. And number four, an opinion of value supported by the analysis of the comparable sales. So credible appraisals clearly identify the property being appraised, the scope of work performed by the appraiser, the client and other intended users, and the intended use of the report. Those are the critical components of it. The appraisal report must include the definition of value or market value, the effective date of the value, the subject property's relevant characteristics, and any other special instructions from the lender, if there is a lender involved, such as Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, VA for Veterans Loans, and FHA. So uh, what you should understand is that if you are trying to buy a home with a VA loan or FHA loan, they have an overlay that is added to the standard appraisal form used by Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac. And those go a little bit further and they get a little more granular into the condition of the property. So FHA does not like to lend on properties where they have health and safety hazard issues or even cosmetic defects like peeling paint, things of those. It, they make it a requirement that those things are remedied before they'll actually fund the loan to close the sale. The appraisal report is essentially uh, the, the appraisers ask, acting as the eyes and ears on behalf of the lender in making these comments and notes in the appraisal report to make sure they sync up with any overlays implied by the lender or enforced by the lender. 
So the accreditable appraisal must effectively communicate that data and analysis, and it's required to support the appraiser's opinion of value. And so it must comply with the uniform standards of professional appraisal practice and all regulatory requirements under the Federal Fair Housing Act, as well as any lender-specific requirements. Hmm. That's a lot, isn't it? Yes. And and what is the importance of appraiser independence? What does that mean? Well, in real terms, um, was anybody around in 2008? So this is where the appraiser independence was dramatically diluted. Um, back in that era, we had thing we had something known as a drive-by appraisal. Now they do those today as well, not as common, but back in those days, um, they were playing fast and loose with appraisals, and there were a lot of loans being made and over encumbering properties. They were putting a bigger loan on it than the property was actually worth. So, as a result of the markets crashing and reforms through financial regulation, Dodd-Frank came into place, and all these federally required guidelines demand and protect appraiser independence. So appraisers are trained to deflect any attempt to influence the appraisal or value opinion. They want to remain independent, impartial, and objective. It's imperative. The appraiser has the sole responsibility for the analysis opinions, and conclusions contained in that appraisal report. The bank making the loan is relying on that appraisal report, and the bank has a lot of skin in the game. Usually they're financing 70, 80, or 90% or more of the appraised value. And if the appraised value is too high, they might be placing a loan on the property that's too large and they're at risk. So the independence of the appraisal is a critical element to protect the client And remember, the client is the bank and the intended users as well, which would be the buyer or the seller, and to enhance the public trust that appraisals contain credible opinions of value. That's absolutely important. Most loans made for residential financing and or refinancing, they're sold in the secondary market on Wall Street. Appraisal values are absolutely critical to building trust with the secondary mortgage market investors. If they lose faith in these valuations, they pull out of the market and our credit markets freeze, and then we have a problem. Remember 2008? That's what happened. That's one of the things that happened as a function of appraisers being influenced, appraisers being fraudulent, and a lot of other shenanigans going on that created that whole implosion back in that era. So both federal and state law requires appraisal independence. Without public trust, the mortgage investors could withdraw funds from the secondary market, and that would result in a shortage of funds available for residential lending. What can be done if it's discovered that a correction is necessary or other relevant data should be considered, I guess, after the appraisal report is done and reviewed? Yeah, so after reviewing the appraisal, if you believe the appraiser did not consider important information about your property or available comparable properties, you need to discuss that matter with your lender. Remember, the lender is the client of the appraiser. So you want to submit your concerns in writing to the lender with a request that the appraiser be asked to address them. 
So as an example, if an appraisal report has an incorrect living area size square footage for the subject property, you should attach some factual evidence which supports your position, like measurements, um, you know, permits, or any plans that you have for the property. If you believe the appraiser selected comparable sales that were not the most comparable, submit a list of your own comparables that you would like the appraiser to consider. The lender will provide this information to the appraiser and request the appraiser to consider what's been submitted. The appraiser should review the appraisal and if additional credible information is pertinent to the appraisal assignment, provide a revised appraisal with commentary addressing your concerns. So let's say you do all that and you ask for reconsideration of value, but the appraisal remains flawed in your opinion. What are your options? So you can request that the lender order an appraisal review assignment or order a second appraisal. I mean, that's where you are. Mm. Keep in mind, the lender is not required to do either of those things. The lender might be fine with that appraisal report, but you can ask. You can make that request. An appraisal review is completed by a different appraiser who will verify the facts and data in the appraisal, and they'll search for additional comparables and provide a conclusion as to whether the comparables used in the original appraisal report are the most comparable. If the review appraiser does not agree with the opinion of value in the original appraisal, the appraiser will complete a sales comparison approach and provide his or her own opinion of value. And what can be done if you suspect fraudulent or incompetent appraisal practice? It's very rare. Um, I have seen some incompetent appraisals come through a handful over the years of doing this. The fraudulent appraisal practices have mostly been stymied by the Dodd-Frank and federal uh, overhaul guidelines and rules and regulations, but it still can happen. If that should happen or you think it's happening, you want to submit, again, in writing to your lender, your concerns. You can also consider filing a complaint with the state appraisal regulatory agency in the state where the property is located. You can find that information at asc.gov. You can also contact the Financial Fraud Enforcement Task Force at stopfraud.gov. And just be advised that the state appraisal regulatory agencies will generally not act as a resource to you in trying to resolve any issues with the appraisal that might affect your transaction. Instead, the agency is going to consider your complaint in light of the appraiser's responsibilities under the law and may take disciplinary, disciplinary action against the appraiser if necessary. Okay, and that's worst case scenario. Hopefully mm -hmm. that doesn't happen very often. I've heard there's problems with appraisers traveling long distances to appraise homes. If it's an out-of-town appraiser, sometimes you wonder, how's that going to work? Do they know the area well enough? Right. So in the early days of Dodd-Frank and federal lending practices and appraisal guideline reforms, it was very, very restrictive. Banks were primarily ordering appraisals through appraisal management companies. These management companies were regional, not local, and it was very common back then to see an appraiser show up from 100 to 150 miles away from the subject property. And in the state of California, in that amount of distance, the values can be 
100, 200, 300 percent different. Yeah. So in the Central Valley of of California, a home could sell for 400,000. That same home, if you could move it here near San Francisco, would be a million five to two million dollars in some cases. Mm -hmm. So when an appraiser shows up from out of town and they're used to appraising homes of that level, it's very confusing to them why that same type of property a hundred miles away should be worth a million dollars more. And so uh, being too far a distance can be a problem. Real estate is basically a patchwork of hyper-local micro-markets. Say that fast sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> what that means is, is that it's hard to be a specialist and be accurate. I mean, I'm a generalist and be accurate. Let me restate that. It's hard to be a generalist and be accurate. Uh, there's so many subtleties and nuances to one neighborhood to another. In our area, as an example, one zip code here in Walnut Creek has three different school districts. And depending on what district you're in, your property value can be different anywhere between 10 to 20 percent, right? Mm -hmm. Same zip code, but different schools. Right. So coming here from out of town, 100 miles away, if you didn't understand that, you could easily get the appraisal value wrong. So, you know, you it's part of their competency to be to have this hyper local awareness of those subtleties and nuances. That's yeah. what they're getting paid for to be accurate. Yeah, it's important. Um, what information should you provide to the appraiser? You as 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 an agent or a homeowner or a buyer, depending on. Yeah. Role. So the more information the appraiser has about the property, the easier it is for them to be accurate without unduly influencing them about the value. You can provide them with information that's helpful to get a creditable result. So the appraiser is really interested in knowing if there are any private agreements, restrictions, easements or rights, right-of-ways, encroachments on the property that might not be evident looking at the property. The appraiser might ask about the property's title, the sales and rental history, and the occupancy of the home. The appraiser might ask if the property is under a pending purchase agreement, and if so, the details of that agreement. You might even want to provide them with a copy of that purchase agreement so that they have that. If the property has been sold in the past three years or less, the appraiser might ask about the details of those transfers. The appraiser might inquire about the physical characteristics of the property, including any additions, any permits, any work done with or without permits. This is a big issue. Sometimes um, a homeowner might save money on that room addition and not get the building permit. And then the, the appraiser is looking at the county tax assessor records, and it shows 2,000 square feet. And when they measure it, it's 2,500 square feet. Now there's a gap, a significant gap, that can affect its value. If you can't produce a permit for that addition, what I've seen and experienced in the past, instead of getting full credit, meaning if the cost per square foot is 200 a square foot, you might be lucky to get 50%. And so you saved $300 on a permit, but you lost $100 in square foot and appraised value for that addition. There's no economy in not getting a permit for room additions. It's a problem. Hmm. So they're going to want to know about that information. 
If you're hiring an appraiser directly, meaning there's no bank involved, the appraiser will want to know what the intended use of the appraisal will be. If you're engaging the appraiser to prepare an appraisal for a federally related transaction, meaning a bank loan, you should know that the lender or the lender's agent is required to engage the appraiser directly, not you, meaning they're hiring the appraiser. That's the arm's length, that's the independence, that's the undue influence, and those are the rules under the Dodd-Frank uh, lending and appraisal reforms. Okay. What should the appraiser do when he or she inspects a home? What do you, what, what's, what do they do? How, okay, how well, go? you know, based on the intended use of the appraisal, the appraiser determines whether an interior or an exterior inspection is required, or maybe there's no inspection required, depending on the intended use. Under many circumstances, the lender will require a full viewing of the property, including exterior and interior inspections. Assuming <clears throat> that a complete inspection is required, the appraiser inspects the site, the site improvements, the building improvements. The appraiser considers the site's shape, the, the size of the lot, the topography, drainage issues, any other attributes that may affect its value. The appraiser Use the site improvements like paving, fences, walls, landscaping to determine their contribution of value to the property. Finally, the appraiser inspects any structures. Some of the items considered are building style, the number of stories, the size, the number of rooms, including bedrooms and baths, etc. The appraiser observes the structure's condition as an aid to estimating depreciation. So in addition, the appraiser considers the property as a whole, including the dwelling and any other improvements, as well as any visible, visible encumbrances. What does that mean? Power lines, encroachments by neighbors, uh, things of that nature. And finally, the appraiser considers the property in relation to the neighborhood. So an, appraise, an appraiser's inspection and a home inspection are quite different. An appraiser gathers information to develop a value opinion, and a home inspector gathers information to identify construction features, structural integrity, and any needed repairs. The appraisal report has codes describing elements such as conditions and construction quality and location. How do you find out what those codes mean? So at the request of the lender or client, the appraisal report might be prepared in compliance with the Uniform Appraisal Data Set, commonly known as UAD, and that's developed by Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac. The UAD requires the appraiser to use standardized responses that include specific formats, definitions, abbreviations, acronyms. So you can look through the appraisal report for the UAD definitions addendum. It's a part of the appraisal report, and in most cases, the addendum will be as an attachment. If not, you can request it from the from the lender, or you can actually find it online. Okay. Um, having an appraisal contingency in your purchase contract is important because if the appraised value is less than the agreed upon purchase price, um, repairs. Yes. Um, or repairs are required. You can renegotiate the sales price, require the seller to make the repairs, or go or back out of the offer altogether with the return of your deposit money. We mm -hmm. talked about that a little bit in previous podcasts. Um, so that's a big topic and something to uh, talk 
to your realtor with. Um, and hiring an experienced realtor to represent you will help you navigate through this complicated area. Well, right. So what happens if your appraisal comes in low, right? Now, if you have an appraisal contingency, as a buyer, you have the right to back out of the sale that doesn't appraise at the agreed-upon purchase price. Without the appraisal contingency, you don't have that right. And so if you're not in agreement with moving forward with that transaction with a lower appraised value, then you have to make up the difference in cash, right, to close the gap. You can try to get the seller to renegotiate the terms of sale and lower the price to the appraised value, but in many cases, especially in a hot seller's market, that doesn't go over very well. Usually there's a backup offer in place, mm -hmm. and they'll step into your shoes in a heartbeat if you don't move forward with the transaction. The other thing with the low bank appraisal is you might not get the loan that you need. Let's say that you were paying a million dollars to buy a house, and the loan amount's 800 and it appraises at 950 and so the bank is going to give you 80% of 950, but they're not going to give you 80% of a million dollars. So there's the gap. So you need to come up with 80% of that difference, that $50,000 difference is the number you have to come up with because they're going to, they're going to give you the loan. It's just going to be a smaller note loan and you might need that entire loan to close the sale. Right. Yeah. That's an important contingency, the appraisal. Yeah. I'm Leslie Whitney, and I'm with Pete Sabine, and we are the five-star real estate team. Discover more real estate pro tips. Find our podcast at fivestarrealestateteam.podbean.com. Thank you. Thank you for joining us for this podcast. We hope you enjoy our real estate pro tips and strategies, and we encourage you to share our podcast with anyone who's looking to buy or sell a home. Be sure to like and subscribe if you have not already. And if you are watching on YouTube, feel free to ring the bell next to the subscribe button so that you don't miss a single episode. Thank you to our producer, Sam Ludman and Painless Podcast for making this podcast happen. Discover more real estate pro tips. Find our podcast at fivestarrealestateteam.podbean.com and check out our new website, r5starteam.com.